Chapter One of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Haywood Brune. The Not Impossible Sheik. Women must be peculiar people, if that. We have just finished the sheik, which is described on the jacket as possessing, quote, all the intense passion and tender feeling of the most vivid love stories, almost brutal in its revelations. Close quote. Naturally, we read it. The author is English and named E. M. Hull. The publishers expand the E to Ethel, but we have a theory of our own. At any rate, the novelist displays an extraordinary knowledge of feminine psychology. It is profound. It is also a little disturbing because it sounds so silly. After all, whether peculiar or not, women are round about us almost everywhere, and we must make the best of them. Accordingly, it terrifies us to learn that if by any chance whatsoever we happen to hit one of them and knock her down, she will become devoted to us forever. The man who knows this will think twice before he strikes a woman, no matter what the provocation. He will be inclined to count ten before letting a blow go, instead of after. Miss Hull's book deserves the widest possible circulation because of its persuasive propaganda for forbearance on the part of men in their dealings with women. Seemingly there are no exceptions to the rules about women laid down by Miss Hull. To state her theory concisely, the quickest way to reach a woman's heart is a right hook to the jaw. To take a specific instance, there was Miss Diana Mayo. She seemed an exception to the rule if ever a woman did. Quote, My God, Diana, beauty like yours drives a man mad, close quote, said Arbuthnot the young British lieutenant in the moonlighted Biskra. More than that, quote, he whispered ardently, his hands closing over the slim ones lying in her lap, close quote. Those were her own. Still Diana was no miss to take a hint. With the strength that seemed impossible for their slimness, she disengaged her hands from his grasp. Please stop, I am sorry. We have been good friends, and it has never occurred to me that there could be anything beyond that. I never thought that you might love me. I never thought of you in that way at all. I don't understand it. When God made me, he omitted to give me a heart. I have never loved anyone in my life. That was before Miss Diana Mayo went into the desert and met the sheik Ahmed bin Hassan. The meeting was unconventional. Ahmed sacked the caravan and kidnapped Diana, seizing her off her horse's back at full gallop. Quote, His movement had been so quick she was unprepared and unable to resist. For a moment she was stunned. Then her senses came back to her and she struggled wildly, but stifled in the thick folds of the Arab's robes, against which her face was crushed, and held in a grip that seemed to be slowly suffocating her, her struggles were futile. The hard, muscular arm around her hurt her acutely. Her ribs seemed to be almost breaking under its weight and strength. It was nearly impossible to breathe with the close contact of his body. But Diana did not love him yet. She seems to have been less susceptible than most girls. 
even when quote, her whole body was one agonized ache from the brutal hands close quote, she persisted in not caring for ahmed ben hassan it almost seemed as if she had taken a dislike to the man up to this time she had not learned to make allowances for him it was much later than this that quote, she looked at the marks of his fingers on the delicate skin with a twist of the lips then shut her eyes with a little gasp and hid her bruised arm hastily her mouth quivering but she did not blame him she had brought it on herself she knew his mood and he did not know his own strength diana's realization that she loved the sheikh ahmed ben hassan and had loved him for some time came under sudden and dramatic circumstances she was running away from him at the time and he was riding after her standing up in the stirrups the sheik shot the horse from under her and quote, diana was flung far forward and landed on some soft sand Close quote. but even yet her blindness to the whisperings of love persisted she thought she hated ahmed but dawn was about to break in her starved heart quote, he caught her wrist and flung her out of the way, close quote. yet it was not until he had lifted her up on the saddle in front of him, using his favorite hold, a half-Nelson and body-scissors, that the punishing nature of the familiar grip roused Diana to an understanding of her great good fortune. Quote, quite suddenly she knew, knew that she loved him, that she had loved him for a long time, even when she thought that she hated him and when she had fled from him. She knew now why his face had haunted her in the little oasis at midday, that it was love calling to her subconsciously. And all the time poor foolish Diana had imagined that it was Arnica that she wanted. Even after Ben Hassan had succeeded in impressing Diana with his affection, we feared that the story would not end happily while riding some miles away from her own carefully restricted oasis diana was captured by another arab chief named ibrahim omar it seemed to us that he was in his way just as persuasive a wooer as ben hassan we read quote, he forced her to her knees and with his hand twined brutally in her curls thrust her head back close quote. and later quote, she realized that he was squeezing the life out of her." Worst of all, from the point of view of a Ben Hassan partisan, and by this time we too had learned to love him, was the moment in which Omar dashed his hand against Diana's mouth, for the author records that quote, she caught it in her teeth, biting it to the bone. We feared then that Diana's heart was turning to this new and wondrously rowdy Arab. Already it was quite evident that she was not indifferent to him. Fortunately, Ahmed came in time to shoot Omar before Diana's unconscious could flash to her any realization of a new love. And the book does end happily, even more happily than anybody has a right to expect. Ahmed is badly wounded, but only in the head, and recovers without any impairment of his punching power. The greatest surprise of all is reserved for the last chapter when Diana and the reader learn that Ben isn't really Arab at all, but the eldest son of Lord Glencarroll and of Lady Glencarroll, too, for that matter, 
It seems Lord Glencarroll drank excessively, although his title was one of the oldest in England. Lady Glencarroll left him on account of his alcoholism and went to the Sahara Desert for rest and contrast. A courtly sheik gave her shelter in his oasis. Here her son was born, and when he heard about his father's disgraceful conduct, he turned Arab and stayed that way. Of course, if he had intended nothing more than a protest against overindulgence in alcoholic liquors, he could have turned American. We suppose such a device would not have seemed altogether plausible. No Englishman could pass for an American. Nor can we say that we are altogether satisfied with the ending even as it stands. For all we know, E. M. Hull may decide to take a shot at Uncle Tom's cabin and at a chapter revealing the fact that Uncle Tom was not actually a colored man, but the child of a couple of Caucasians who happened to get a little sunburned. We are not even sure that E. M. Hull is a woman. Publishers do get fooled about such things. According to our theory, the E stands for Egbert. He is, we think, at least five feet four inches tall, and lives in Bloomsbury, in a very respectable bachelor's diggings. He has never been to the desert, or near it. But if the Sheik continues to run through new editions, he plans to take a jaunt to the east. He thinks it might help his hay fever. End of chapter 1